Let's bow for a word of prayer. If you want to take your scriptures, turn over to 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to get to there in just a second. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, we thank you for a church uh, that is alive. I just uh, love to be outside with all the energy, with all the folks that are coming in. And Lord, we just thank you for your inspired word and from your word that uh, we can begin to live our lives to the fullest and surrender to you, to walk with you, to be more like you. So thank you for today. Thank you for the, your ultimate sacrifice on the cross and the power of the resurrection. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Uh, I'm going to ask you a loaded word in our culture. And uh, there's a lot of definitions for it. And it's a word that is very annoying. And it's the word healthy. How many like the word healthy? Good. Oh, good. Three people. So anyway, uh, here's a quote that I really like. It's by A.J. Matry. He says this, so many people spend their health gaining wealth, and then they spend their wealth to regain health. Isn't that true? We, we work so hard to get the money, and then when we get the money, our health is falling apart, and then we invest a lot of money to gain health. I love what Joan Welsh said, a person's health can be judged by which he takes two of at a time. Pills or the stairs? Can you relate to that? You gauge your health by pills or stairs. Now, let me give you a personal perspective about how hard it is pursuing our health and even our image and how hard it is with height and weight, for example. In Sweden, and I can't believe they let them do this in Sweden, but they did this. They took 1,700 random people, you ready for this, that gave permission to do this, 1,700 random people, they took their driver's license and they, they wanted to see if their weight and their height was accurate. You ready for this? Do you know how many people were lying? 100%. Now, here's the thing. I was thinking, that's a problem in Sweden. It is not a problem here. Just to prove that, I'm going to look at my license. Okay, we do have a problem, okay? Now, my guess is, if we all took out our license, we, we could... Uh, we could agonize with the Swedes. We all know this battle of health, and, and it, is, it is a huge battle. Uh, let me give you an example. It's something I absolutely hate. The older I get, every year for our uh, insurance policy, you have to get the full checkup. And you know what I hate about the checkup? First of all, they're always late. Second of all, what's the very first thing they do? She's like, well, let's go ahead and weigh in. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Got all my clothes on. I got my shoes on. And she says, it doesn't matter. I'm like, yeah, it does matter, okay? <laughs> Have you ever felt like that? So here's what I've learned. Here's the secret. You get on the scale, close your eyes, put your fingers in your ears. You might even want to hum the national anthem. Whatever it takes, don't listen to whatever, because let's face it, they're off at least 25 pounds. I mean, they're off, <laughs> way off. All of us know the battle, and it is a battle to, to gain health, to be healthy. But have you ever asked yourself, what about the church? Like, what, what is it about the church? What are the vital signs that every church needs to examine to see if they're healthy? And that's what we're going to look at today in 1 Peter chapter 4. What are those vital signs? Here's the first one. A healthy church prays. Look at 1 Peter 4 verses 7 and 8. At the end of all things is near. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded, self-controlled, so that, what? You can pray. 
Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. I mean, just let that sink in about the influence of prayer. We know how critical prayer is. We've shared this several times, but I believe with all my heart that prayer is not something you do before a big event. Prayer is the big event. And we want to expand our prayer ministry here. We really do. Uh, we have a team every week that if you go back in this, the left area of the bar, there's always a, a group of folks there just to pray with you. But we want to expand it more because it has to be foundational. In this room right now, I guarantee you, there are some of you that are hurting so bad and you just need to know that as a church family, we're praying. Matter of fact, if you notice, he says the end is near. That isn't out of panic, but it's out of urgency. What if we prayed every day as if Jesus Christ were coming back tonight? What if we prayed with that kind of urgency? And what if we prayed for others with that kind of urgency? Steve Connors, years ago, who's uh, there at Sherwood Oaks, is one of our missionaries, and he asked me this question, and it was loaded. He said, John, if, if the people you prayed for this week, specifically the people you prayed for who do not know Christ, we're going to go to heaven this week because you prayed for them. How many people would be in heaven today because of that prayer? That's a loaded question. Because if you think about it, we get so busy. And he says, if you really want prayer to be effective, it says be clear-minded, be sober-minded is what it would say in the King James. And that simply means in life, we can be intoxicated with a lot of things that have nothing to do with alcohol. You can be intoxicated with anger, you can be intoxicated with revenge. You can be intoxicated with worry. And you know you can't worry and worship at the same time. So it says if you seek God with a clear mind and you begin to pray, he can do amazing things. Matter of fact, and I've shared this, Jim Simba always says that when Jesus cleared the temple, the title that he used was, this is a house of what? Prayer. Wasn't a house of sermons. Wasn't a house of music. He said, the reason I'm so upset is this is where people come to reconnect with God. And this is uh, shameful that you're preventing them to get to the throne of God through what? Prayer. Prayer. A healthy church is a church that is finding every way possible to pray. In a detailed study that I've been doing on the life of Christ, intense study, uh, I heard that Jesus reconnected or retreated over 40 times in the Gospels to pray. His example was, even when he was among a lot of people, he would have this period of time, maybe there were miracles or whatever was going on, an amazing teaching. And then what would Jesus do almost every time? He would retreat and he would reconnect with God. And this past week, how many times did you need to retreat? Seriously. Did you just need to unplug and say, God, I just feel like things are getting a little out of control. Man, I just need you to reel this back in for me, that we surrender to God. That's when the scripture says, do this without ceasing. That's what it means, that God's always on your mind. Because any significant relationship you have, any, tell me what happens when there's a breakdown of communication. Tell me how that damages the relationship. Any here, anybody here ever raise a teenager? Yeah. Have you ever had a season where you don't communicate well? Have you ever had a season that you did communicate well? I mean, if you've got 
teenagers, you know. And you know when communication breaks down. We know the agony of communication. And especially the teenage years, you know the agony, uh, parents and grandparents, when there is no communication, don't you? And you know how that hurts. Well, you know, it's got to hurt God when we don't share with him, when we don't pray to him. I want to share a valuable lesson that I learned uh, when I was uh, just out of, not out of college. It was right after my freshman year. Uh, Not a sob story. I grew up in a home, didn't have much money. So uh, if I was going to get a car, I had to buy the car. I had to pay for the car. So uh, going into my sophomore year, and I, I realized a couple of valuable things. Number one, I can't do ministry if I don't have a car. Number two is I'm never going to get a date. So anyway, I was struggling just to get a car. So I started working and literally banking every penny. I'd set a goal that when I reached $1,000, now this is 1979, so that went a long way. That when I got $1,000, I was going to start looking for a car. And I remember when I hit that mark, went to a car lot, looked around. I don't remember what the car was. All I know, it was fast and it looked good. And I could see myself in the car. So I got home and I said, Mom, I, I found the perfect car. I think I can do ministry. She's like, yeah, it's fast, isn't it? I said, well, I think. And she goes, well, if your brother-in-law, David, will approve it, then I'll say, yeah, let's go for it. Well, my brother-in-law knew a ton about cars. Uh, he said, let me go check it. He always calls me Johnny. Johnny, I'll go check that out. And so the whole morning at work, all I could think about was, man, I am going to be a bad man in that car. I mean, that's all I could think about. And then around 11 o'clock, the weirdest thing happened. I just really got this sense. God was like, man, you are so focused on this car. I mean, I thought you were actually going to Bible college to focus on me. Don't you hate it when God just hits you with a two-by-four? And then at noon, now this is a 19-year-old guy on a construction site, okay? At noon, I'm like, you know what? I don't think I'm going to go up with the guys and eat today. I'm going to find a quiet place, and I'm going to pray. I'm just going to fast for lunch and pray. And when I prayed, I said, Lord, here's the deal. I'm so sorry. I got hung up on this car. You know what I have. I have $1,000. And whatever car you want me to have, I will drive the wheels off that car to serve you. So Lord, I give it to you. The rest of that afternoon went by. Got home that night. My brother-in-law called. And he said, hey, I looked at that car. It's been wrecked. And that's not going to work. I said, no problem. He said, but the weirdest thing, I've got a buddy at work right after lunch came up to me and he said, hey, my parents are selling their car. It's hardly ever been drove. He said, they're, they're old. And he said, they've drove this maybe an hour or two out of town. That's about it. It only has 29,000 miles on it. And my brother-in-law, this is what freaked me out, said, I don't know how much money you have to spend, but I think it's $1,000. Seriously. So I want to show you a picture of the car. It's not the actual car. Look at that bad boy. Now that, that's fixed up. Mine was not that nice but it was a 1966 Dodge Cornet. And I literally drove the wheels off of that thing. I wrecked it within the first six months. <laughs> didn't, have, <laughs> didn't have insurance to fix it. Huge dent in the side. I remember one time there was a water puddle on it, birds rent it, bad thing. And four years later, when I was at my first church, I traded it for a moped. So I literally <laughs> ran the wheels. But you know what bothers me sometimes? Is I remember that 19-year-old kid that totally surrendered to God and said, God, I just pray out of urgency. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll go wherever you want me to go. And I wish that kid lived a lot more. You ever felt like that? We could write a book right now 
if I just went around and I said, give me a situation, a circumstance in life when you urgently prayed and God delivered in seriously, almost a miraculous way. And if we started recording those stories and those testimonies, wouldn't we have a book here this morning? God is still alive. God is still moving. And that's why he says, don't ever give up on prayer. Bill Hybel said this, and I want you to think about this quote, no one can become an authentic Christian on a steady diet of activity. No one can become an authentic Christian on a steady diet of activity. Oh, we can be really busy, even busy in the name of the Lord, and yet you can start drifting. Why? Because you're not communicating with Him. A healthy church is always praying. That's why Tom had mentioned this. This is really important. If you'll write this down, this Friday night, uh, we're going to have a prayer journey. You get on a bus. Doc Fooder from Moody's going to be with us. We're going to drive around different sites around our area. We're just going to start praying over schools. We're going to start praying over ministries. Uh, at 6 o'clock this Friday night. It's going to be a great, amazing time of just praying for those outside of these walls. Second of all, a healthy church always practices hospitality, makes hospitality a priority. Look at verse 9. Offer, matter of fact, let's read this together. This is a great, short, beautiful verse. Offer hospitality to one another without what? Grumbling. (laughs) Let's read that a second time. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Here's what John MacArthur said about that Greek word for hospitality. Hospitality means a love of strangers, a love that is intensely practical, not just emotional. Hospitality. It's that welcome mat. Now, can I brag on the West Side? I got to tell you, this is a hospitable church. It really is. And I'm not just saying that. I, I got to tell you how important it is that you just do everything in our power to make people feel welcome. And I tell you, I can't tell you enough about our welcome team, our hospitality team, and all, the, all just reaching out to those that are visiting. But hospitality goes even beyond the visiting. Webster says this in his definition, hospitality is the act of receiving strangers without reward. No strings attached. Have you ever had somebody that's nice to you, but you know there are strings attached? I mean, I had a woman do this yesterday. I was picking up some supplies, and she walked up, and she goes, oh, my, you must be having a really nice big function. I'm like, yeah, I really am. She goes, oh, I remember when I bought a lot of pens. Um, I should have stopped the conversation. She goes, yeah, and oh, by the way, she takes out her clipboard. She goes, oh, if you'll sign up for that. I'm like, whoa, I just thought you were nice about the pens, you know. Haven't we all been in those situations where like, man, there is something attached here. That's not hospitality. And the Jewish culture, this was huge. There were two classes of people. There were travelers. So when you read scripture and it talks about travelers, that meant that the Jewish people were reaching out to those that were Jewish. So it said in that culture, when you were in the desert and many of them were traveling that way, there was always a need for water and protection. So it was a part of their culture. It was not an option is you take in the travelers because there will be a time you are a traveler and you're going to be somebody to reach out to you and open their home. But there's another word and it's the word alien. If you read through scripture, every so often you'll see alien, not E.T. What does it mean by alien? Well, that is simply those outside of your core belief system. Are you willing to reach out to them? They literally lived in a nomad culture and hospitality 
was so critical. You don't have to raise your hand, but if you'd like to, how many have ever been to a church, experienced a church that was not friendly? Raise your hand if you've ever been a part of a church. Okay. Uh, most of you here have experienced that. A few years ago, I was in Kentucky. That's probably where it started to break down. So anyway, I went in this, sorry if you're from Kentucky. Okay, that was not hospitable. Okay, so I wore a little, like a polo shirt, and it had like a little Indiana emblem. It wasn't like I had this huge, you know, we rock, we own you, or, you know, it wasn't like that at all. You know, at least we graduate. Anyway, I don't get into that. Anyway, um, just a little bitty IU logo. So I go, and I'm the only one. I, I'm sitting in the back corner, and I'm kind of looking around. Nobody really said much to me. Um, and on the stage, I could tell it was the minister because it was just like a radar. He's coming, boy, he spotted me, and boy, here he came. And I'm like, oh, well, that's nice. That's really nice that he's going to come greet me. And I mean, by the time he got to me, he said, hey, you know what? You beat us. Lucky shot. Lucky shot. We beat you when it mattered. And hey, who won the national championship? And I was thinking, I can't wait to worship here. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> You ever been there? Like, really? I mean, this is so important that we practice hospitality. And what's it say? Without grumbling. That we do it out of a pure heart. It's interesting. We were doing a, a detailed study at Sherwood Oaks. Uh, Steve Dyer, uh, who oversees our life groups, and he was doing a lot of research. And he said a lot of people would determine if they like a church. Are you ready for this? In the first seven minutes. Even before they get to the sermon. Now here, I hope in the first seven minutes it was good, okay? I really do. But here's the situation, uh, and I love this, and I've shared this before. The Coast Guard says this, and I love this, that on your worst days, we need to be at our best. When it's pouring down rain, seriously, we need to be at our best. When you come in and emotionally, spiritually, you're beat up as you come in those doors. If you're a part of what we're doing here, you need to check yourself at the door and say, it's not about me. It's about how I can reach out to the person next to me or the person who's hurting or the person who just looks like they just need a friend. After uh, last night's uh, service down in Bedford, one of the members came up and they said, hey, I want to tell you about a church that I visited. They have an entire team. And if you're a first time visitor, there will be somebody who will take you out free for lunch. I thought, how cool is that? And they said that really had a huge impact. Hospitality. It's how you open up your homes on a regular basis. To be praying for those that are hurting, and God will, I guarantee, raise up a family or raise up somebody in your mind and just say, you know what? I'm going to open up my home, and I'm just going to do whatever I can to practice hospitality. And then last of all, a healthy church serves others. 1 Peter 4, verses 10 through 11. Each one of us should do whatever gift he has received to do what? Serve others. Faithfully administrating God's grace in various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. And if anyone serves, he should do it with the strength that God provides. So that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Think about that. If you want to know if a church is healthy, it's when a church is focused on reaching those 
outside of the church walls. And here's the great thing. When you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, beyond talent, he amps that up and he gives us spiritual gifts. And I think we complicate that sometimes. A spiritual gift simply means there's something that you're really good at. And God says, take that thing that you're really good at and serve others with that gift. So if you're a gifted teacher, you use that to do what? Bring glory to God. If you're an administrator, you use that gift to bring glory to God by serving others. And you start going down those spiritual gifts, you realize God gave me this gift for one reason, to serve others. Now, how do we know that? Because that's what Jesus Christ modeled. Galatians 6, 9 says, do not grow weary of doing good. Serve others. I was at a class this last week, and I was telling you about, I'm getting into this this six-month intense study on the life of Christ, what Christ did, how Christ did it. And the, uh, the teacher, honestly, I've never been in a room with anybody that not only loved Jesus, but knew more about Jesus than this guy. He's been in the Holy Land 30 times. So he would share a story of Jesus and say, oh, just let me show you. And all of a sudden, he'd pull up these amazing pictures. And I can't believe just my heart started racing, like, oh, my land. I'm learning so much about who Jesus is and what Jesus practice and how important it is that we do that. And one of the things that he shared, which was interesting, he said, when I was getting my doctoral study and my doctoral thesis was on the practical ways that Jesus did ministry, that was my thesis. I surveyed, are you ready for this, 200 churches in the Chicago area, sizes 200 to 2,000. And he said, what I basically was asking them is, look at everything you do in your church and put them into one of three categories. The first category is you're doing everything you can outside the church walls to reach hurting people. Look at everything you do. Second thing is list everything you do, classes and everything, for the believers that are in your church. In other words, you're just you're feeding the believers Bible studies and programming, all the things that are in-house. And then the third one is missional. What are you doing to equip people who are willing to go anywhere in the world? Like you're sending disciples, and I mean... This is like the world. So it's community, yourselves, the world. Okay? Are you ready for this? Guess what category in the middle, taking care of those inside the church? 87%. 87%. Now, here's my question. That was done in the early 80s. Do you think that would apply to the church today? See, it's important that everything we do, we look at it and look at big picture and say, okay, is this, are we serving ourselves? Are we doing everything we can to get this outside the walls? Now, don't hear me the wrong way. Is he saying we shouldn't have Sunday school? Is he saying we shouldn't be in a life? No, 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 that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is even in your life groups, we should be saying, are we just talking about Jesus? And is it always about discussion? Are we going outward? And everything are we doing? Are we serving? Are, is there a heart of serving others? At our jobs, everything we do is it about that. Verse 19 says, So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to do what? To their faithful creator and continue to do good. Continue to do good. Um, I had a friend who went to a conference uh, not long ago, and the speaker was Mel Robbins. Now, Mel Robbins is a, a woman who is on TED Talks. She's a radio host. Uh, she really pushes people to pursue excellence. 
and she shared what's called the five-second rule. Now, this is interesting. Now, do you remember growing up with the five-second rule? Anybody know what that is? Yeah, my mom was big on the five-second rule. One time a toast dropped, you know, the jelly side down on the floor, and I remember I looked at it, my mom said, you know, John F. Kennedy, he ate toast off the floor. And I'm like, oh, really? I think she was lying. But anyway, that's the five-second rule, okay? But that's not the rule I want to talk about. Here's the five-second rule. Uh, what she pointed out is we have our mind, they've, they've done all kinds of research, our mind is either in autopilot or it will kick into overdrive and take initiative. But it's very content to be in autopilot. For example, when you drive a car, do you go through the whole process every time you get in the car? Okay, 10 and 2, look both ways, look in the mirror. No, no, it's, it's automatic. Our lives many times are in automatic overdrive, okay? And we're content with that. So to initiate something new is hard. And one reason is we have a flood of information. Would you agree? Information overload. 250 kinds of coffee. Over 14,000 separate items in Kroger. And that's just the few of the choices we make on a regular basis. Our mind's going crazy. So she said what happens is our mind is content to just stay at this plane and not kick into overdrive. But she said you'd be shocked if you sensed there was something you needed to do. Are you ready for this? And she counts backwards, five, four, three, two, one, go. And she said, if you'll take a physical, literally a physical move, you'll be shocked at what you're going to start getting done, what you're going to start moving towards. There's a call this week you didn't make, you should have. There's an email you should have sent, and you didn't. There's a life project you've been wanting to start, you just don't know when. But what if you actually step back and say, God, Help me in the next five seconds, and then help me to actually start moving on that. Last week, we handed out a, a card, and it simply had all of the different ministry options here. And you may be praying over that card. I want you to continue to pray. But I also, this week, as you're praying over that, I want you to practice the five-second rule. Maybe God is whispering something in your ear, and you've just had this little this edge of fear and maybe God is saying, no, 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 start moving. Do something, but start moving. We can change the world five seconds at a time if we're just willing to strive to be the kind of church God wants us to be, a healthy church. It's a church that prays. It's a church that always has the welcome mat out. And it's a church that says, we're here not for ourselves. We're here to serve others.